Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. I'm Brendan Porter. With families and day jobs, we know it's hard to find time to get out there with your camera. So Brendan and I joined together and made the commitment to go out consistently and build up our landscape and astrophotography portfolios. We live in Utah and are lucky to have so many beautiful landscapes all around us. Not only do we have five national parks right here in Utah, but we are only a day or less drive away from 30 other national parks. So we created PhotogAdventures.com, this podcast, and our YouTube channel to chronicle our adventures. Come along with us to amazing places and learn from our mistakes and our successes. We hope that you will get out there too and have a photog adventure of your own. It's episode 33. 33. 33 makes me think of that meeting trick that you do. I listen to Armstrong and Getty Radio. If you guys ever listen to Armstrong and Getty, then you and I would be really close friends. They got, friends. These guys are out of California. They're hilarious. They had one, one story about a study that said if you go into a meeting at work and you want to sound more important, you want to sound like you're paying attention, mm-hmm. One trick you do is that if someone is talking about something and says that it's going to take us about 33% of this to do that, oh, yeah. you yeah. interrupt and say, oh, that's about one third. Okay, yeah. Well, you mean, yeah, about one third? About okay. one third? Okay, gotcha. And then they say another, like, one, they say a percentage or they even say a fraction and say, that's about three fourths of our work. So, so about 75%. Okay. It's about 75%. It makes you sound like you're really smart. You did the math really fast, which is really easy math. <laughs> and it sounds like you're paying attention to the point where like, you really get what that person's saying. So when I hear us say episode 33, I'm thinking, huh, how about one third? One third of the way. And I like the number 33 because when I was a kid growing up, I really liked um, Ewing. Uh, number 33. Patrick Ewing? Patrick Ewing from uh, the drinking. Knickerbockers. Knickerbockers. From the Knicks. <laughs> you already sound old enough mentioning Patrick Ewing. You don't have to say Knickerbockers. Patrick Ewing was one of my favorite players in the Knicks, and uh, his number was 33. Watch that Patrick Chewing commercial for Snickers. It's great. <laughs> it's Patrick Chewing. <laughs> have Patrick Chewing dunk on you. That's awesome. So, episode 33, We today we are talking about what? Tetons. Teton National Park. Yeah, it's weird. Grand Teton National Park, and yeah. everything it says, everything I see reading about it says Grand Teton singular, and I want to say the Tetons, Grand Tetons. But yeah, it's because because when we see the Tetons, we see a mountain range, and so we want to say Tetons because there's lots of little peaks. There's like each lots one of them. is one of the Tetons, right? Yeah, yeah, and maybe it's a Utah thing. I don't know. It's just something we want to do. So um, <laughs> Apparently, there's just one mountain. That's the Grand Teton. And then right. it's the Grand Teton Mountain Range or the Grand Teton Mountains. Yeah. The Grand Teton region, you know, has dated back, you know, to like 11,000 years. Settlers have been going there back and forth. They would go in the warmer months, you know, track the animals up there. And then they'd, in the winter months, they'd track, they would, you know, migrate back down south where it's warm again. So the people living in the area would come in only for, for hunting. Yeah. Yeah, they'd hunt there over the summer, kind of hang out like like a summer cabin kind of thing, you know. Their <laughs> tents, they'd Spending set up tents and hunt and stuff, and then summer away from school. Yeah, they'd live there, and then they would live, go back down south and live in the south for the okay. winter. So they treat it like a hunting ground. Like, yeah. go to the hunting grounds and we'll go back mm-hmm. to because our they lived off. Climate. I mean, they had to live off the land and stuff. And it so. is really cold up there. Yeah, when the white man came around and explored, um, you know, Americans started exploring that region. That was like the 1810 to 1840s. The Shoshones were living there. And then about 40 years later in the 1880s is when Jackson Hole became an actual settlement. People actually started moving there and settling it and actually developing it in the 1880s. 1880. Wow. And so barns like the Moulton family barns and stuff like that were established probably around that time, 1880s, 1890s probably. Oh, right on. And then, and then shortly after that in 1929 is when the U.S. government um, established the Grand Teton National Park. 
1929. So it's weird to think the Moulton family settled in around the 1880s, and so we're talking mm-hmm. over 100 year old barns, but they declared it a national park in 1929. Yeah, so that was about f- almost 50 years, I'd say, later. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty quickly, though, mm-hmm. they designated it a national park, and all those areas are preserved because, man, it's been under watch from the very beginning. Right. When you look at the area of the Bolton Barns, you see that there's just nothing else out there. There's some modern-day cabins that have been built over there towards the edge of the road that leads up to Jackson Lake. But, bad, man, around the Molten Barns, that whole street, it is just the Molten Homestead. That's it. Actually, no. Do you remember there was an actual house there that said this was private property? But I'm thinking that might be descendants of the I th- yes, Moultons. I think yes, because they probably own that land and they're her- and they're they probably yeah. passed that land down. That's probably descendants of those. That's my guess. Of the family, probably Moulton family, because they're right there. in there on what they call Mormon Row, and these Mormon families were all living and growing that mm-hmm. area, and there's and, just nothing else. Yeah, and so there is an actual house there. It's an actual private property, and I, I, it probably is one of their descendants. Yeah, man, they have a great view. They no do. one's they ever going to build right behind them or in front of them and block their view of That's the Teton. True. That's true. Oh, wow. That is so awesome. Pretty cool place. Absolutely. It was so awesome that we got to go out there. We did not expect to go here. In fact, we had no plans whatsoever to go up here. But all of a sudden, Daniel Lindhart, awesome friend of ours now, he started mm-hmm. off as listening to us and seeing our videos. He reached out to us, and we become buddies with him. And he hooked us up with some free lodging up there at the Jackson Lake. It's yeah. the uh, Signal Mountain Lodge. Yep, he had some out. work to do, and he had to do some inspecting. And so he said, hey, we're there for the night. If you guys want to come join us, we're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mean we get to stay free with you up in Yellowstone and Jackson Hole area and Grand oh, Teton? Oh, just drive there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we're there. It's awesome. We didn't do much research beforehand and planning on going during this time, but right. it was just, we found out how just a little too early it was. It was, in fact, the following week they announced that Friday it's going to be open. All these roads into Yellowstone will be open. The following week. The following Friday. So the very next weekend. Yep. Had we been there one Friday later... <sighs> It would have been open to us because we mean, saw the roads. They looked yeah. like they should have been open. Right. And yeah, exactly. So we didn't get to go into like the road to Jenny Lake and we didn't get to go into the road to um, that one. There's uh, a signal Bayou mountain area. view. Oh, the Schwabacher's, Schwabacher's Landing. Landing was yeah. also closed. Um, we could have hiked to those places, but I was like my second week into like my hernia surgery, which was <laughs> You're very recovering still. Yeah, and I wasn't about to do a two-mile hike anywhere. Even just walking would have been brutal. So You were more eager than I was. I was like, oh, no, we shouldn't do this one-mile hike. Yeah, and I'm glad I did because it would have probably killed me or done some <laughs> very bad damage. It was only one mile, but it would have been all uphill on the way back. Right. And then Jenny's Lake was three and a half, four miles from the point that, that they been, stopped yeah. us. Yeah. So, I mean, we had a great opportunity. We did we did the best that we could with the opportunity we had. And I think we turned I think it turned out pretty good overall for the conditions that it was and the timing. You know, could have been better, but you know, I think we did pretty good making the most of it. Yeah, so let's talk more about what happened at the Grand Teton only after our listener at Photog Adventure of the Week. Okay. This week we're gonna feature Ross Campbell. Ross comes from Scotland and he says he Scotland. regularly hikes and camps in the mountains, the forest, the beaches, or wherever it takes him. And he says he loves our outdoor access and his right to roam laws over there. So in Scotland they have more right to roam laws than in England. I'm not sure, because I know that hmm. Thomas Heaton's talked about 
You can't camp. Wild camping can only be above the highest fell wall. So there's a oh. point where private land has put a fell wall, and then above that is kind of public or a little bit, or you're allowed to camp there. Anything well, below is illegal. Yeah, and so and when I was in England, um, there was I thought it was very interesting that we were allowed to walk through people's fields, and they had public access, like. Um, gate, so they would have like a fence, like a wooden fence, yeah, to 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 mark their property and to keep cows and stuff in. But they'd have these stepovers. Oh, really? Where you just have a path walking right to it. You could step right over. You could step around, basically around the fence, and um, and it was totally public. And I thought that was the most interesting thing because we just don't have that in America. I mean, if you've got a fence, they're, they're like, they're like, screw you, you're not coming in here, <laughs> right? You know, and so, but in England, they're just like, yeah, this is a, you know, just. Come right through. This is where the path is. I think so. I've seen that several times where it looks like someone's put a ladder basically over yeah. the fence. Yeah, you have like you a step up. here and a step there, and then you kind of step over the fence, and then and it's just totally normal. It's like, here you go. Let me yeah. help you through. Yeah. That's awesome. And you just walk through a field, and it's private field, but that's where the path is. That's public path. I so. wonder if that same thing is applying here when he says the right to roam laws over here in Scotland. Mm-hmm. I bet they have a similar thing in England than after all. Because yeah, because they every have single those. land is partitioned. I mean, it's been partitioned for... For eons, it's not like they have an untraveled of years. inch of land. No, in the hundreds of years. Island. Yeah, hundreds of years. These lands have been partitioned off for lords and lordships and all this stuff, right? Right. But at some point in time, someone said, "This is ridiculous. We have to be able to like walk around. This is just big open space. <laughs> you can't just have sheep here. You know, yeah. people want to walk around and enjoy the place too. So, I think maybe that's why they established those those laws. I think you're. I think that's what he's talking about. I bet it is true in England it's as well. It's pretty cool, actually. It's cool. Cool oh, culture. Yeah. I mean, if you got the picture, if you're pulling up the show notes, and I apologize for previous show notes, those days are in the past. Nice show notes this time. You're going to see that he has this image of him up at the top of a mountain peak. In the distance, you see this lake, and it's beautiful looking there. But what's just so impressive is that. He seems really high up, and the trail is well-worn. People have walked up to this point. It's just gorgeous, snow-capped mountains in the distance, snow-capped hills in the foreground. The ground is looking like it's coming out of winter, very brown, very cool, but this could be gorgeous in the right glowing, growing seasons of spring and summer. I mean, imagine mm, what this place looks like mm. when it's totally green. Yeah. So Ross goes on and says that normally all his pictures are taken with whatever phone he has at the time, which of course leads to his battery being run out all the time, which is funny. We'll talk about that later on. The included picture was one such capture and still one of his favorites. While it's not the best quality or anything, it captures the feeling and instantly transports me back to a fantastic day of walking over seven mountains and camping later that night by Lockside. By the lake so seven mountains he walked up and over that same day that is awesome so did he take that picture with his phone then i think he set his camera up and then he had it on a timer and walked down there or someone's with him he doesn't it doesn't say who's holding the camera during the shot, but if you guys aren't seeing the picture right now, just know that there is obviously foreground leading up to where the camera is at the top of this higher peak on this mountain and then going down the trail to another very steep looking peak. You can see the silhouette of Ross as he's standing there looking out over the valley. When I zoom into that picture, I do see him holding his tripod in the camera, so that must have been a picture from his phone. Oh, cool. Right. He does have that in his left hand. Oh, that's so awesome. I'm wondering if someone with him just took that picture of him walking. 
Seriously, when I picture Photog Adventures, I picture a view like this, this crazy up above view looking at this selfie back, the back of a person staring out over this grand vista. I mean, I would love for us to go and get a shot like this where you and I are looking out over the distance and says, Photog Adventures. We're going to just set that up. We should. If we ever have a studio space that people come in and see us there, that this could tell the story right here. Ross's image could tell the story of Photog Adventures. Mm-hmm. In fact, it could even be just Ross in the picture showing photog adventures because it's about every one of us who don't have a full-time job in photography amateurs lovers hobbyists just trying to do it part-time all of us try and get out and have a photog adventure and this was such an awesome day for ross yeah fantastic so he says fast forward a few years after that picture and the battery issue that led him to picking okay fast forward a few years after that picture and the battery issues that he has it led him to picking up a nikon d3300 for landscape photography Mm. so just in january of this year while staying in a mountain bothy for the night a mountain bothy he says to me that bothies here are awesome very basic and crude houses but they serve their purpose well it's definitely a social space in the wilderness he's never had one to himself ever He's always had a brilliant time meeting like-minded people who just enjoy night of tales around the fire. That's so cool. Yeah. So he goes, picture this little, little tiny cabin that has one major commune room for eating and another like community room for sleeping. Mm -hmm. Sometimes bunk beds, sometimes separate rooms, like a hostel situation, a youth hostel. And you just go and it's first come first serve. You set up your camp. He's never had the place to himself. So there's always other people either Hmm. out hiking or camping or just out there to hike or out there to take photography. And so you get to meet like-minded people and just enjoy a night of tales and stories around the fire. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah. We have a similar thing because every time we go to a national park, we seem to run into someone or a small group of people that are also like-minded. Yeah. Like we usually see other photographers and we're like, oh, they're photographers. And we usually go and chat with them or they come to our spot like they did in um, Yosemite. Yosemite. Firefall. Yeah. We end up meeting cool, interesting people and uh, yeah. It's very, very similar, but uh, this would definitely be more quaint. I mean, definitely more concentrated. Yeah, you can't in the same home, space. in the same house, you know. So yeah, there's sort of a manner, an etiquette that you got to put on as mm-hmm. you help and just be maybe more civil, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very. Like yeah. Royce was talking about civility among others. Yeah, it's crazy. It never fails how you go to a location, and no matter how remote it is, almost, and no matter what time of year it is some one or two or three other people are, are there. When we were at mm-hmm. Mule Canyon just last week with um, Jeff and Kathy, we ended up showing up at this place where photographers were leaving and we had the place to ourselves for like 30 seconds and then another photographer <laughs> showed up and then six other photographers showed up. I mean, wow. all these people happen to be in the area in what is not the summer tourist season. Right. It's barely spring. It's, it was April 28th, and yet these people were all up there. In Photog Adventures, we really try to find some of those more niche places because we really like the solitude, I think, when we're yeah. out together. And if we think about, like, if someone were to fly here from Europe and to do, like, a, a one-on-one session with us, we want to show them some of those great, big, iconic places. Places they've dreamt of their life yeah, long. Yeah, but then we want to really take them to some places that they really could just be on their own with just them in the night sky. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. And that's yeah. the kind of thing that we try to look we try to look for. And there's lots of those little places in Utah, thank goodness. There's lots of mm-hmm. those places where people just aren't familiar with. But even like the train trestle, man, I mean there's people there all the time too. It was crazy. <laughs> and we the, thought that was one of those places and you know at the Oachomo Bridge at the Natural Bridges National Monument, mm-hmm. two other photographers showed up with joined us that night. 
And then as yeah. we were leaving, some lady came down the steps at 3.30 in the morning, or I remember like 3.15 when she arrived, and she comes down the steps and joins us and realizes, oh my gosh, we're light painting the bridge for her. So she slams down her tripod and starts blasting away taking photos. And I'm like, I'm sorry, we're leaving right now. Do you need some more time? She's like, if I could, yeah, please. And so I gave her a few more minutes as everyone else is packing up and then just got it last minute. And so even in the dark, even in the crazy location that is out in the middle of nowhere, an hour from the closest civilization in Hanksville and Blanding. Yeah. And which are small places. Yeah, very small. The civilization is a gas station and a few other right. places of business. Maybe one stop sign. <laughs> right. The whole town. Yeah. And yet still people show up. Photographers, like minded people. Yeah. It's crazy. Man, I what do I kill for Bothies being everywhere we go? Wouldn't it be awesome? Yeah. It's so cold sometimes to get out of the wind. Mm-hmm. Be brilliant. Yeah. Well, that's why those camper shells and stuff like that are becoming popular. You know, I, I mean, I just passed my neighbor's house the other day and he had extended his camper tent that comes off the top of his car and folds in half and doubles. Well, it was on his SUV. Okay, so big it's, this, it's this, yeah, it's this thing that sits on top of your SUV and it doubles as you fold it open and pops up into a tent and awesome. it has a ladder on the side. So you crawl up the ladder and it fits like three or four people. And I'm like, oh, I want I've one seen of those, those so online bad. and I just pass. I'm just like. Now that I see one in person, I'm like, oh, I totally want one. Ever since I seen one back in 2012, I saw someone at my work pull in and they were buying one from someone. So they're testing it out. I was like, that's so the best cool. way ever to travel. Yeah. It's on top. You fold it out. It's it doubles in flat. size. You yeah. get to sleep in a flat surface up high. Keep your food and everything away from wildlife up there. And it's secure, You've got all safe. your cargo space in the, in, you know, in the truck down below. And then you got all your sleeping and other arrangements up top. It's brilliant. Yeah. Even if you only found enough space to pull off the road into a tiny little pullout, mm-hmm. you're you still safe it. because you sleep on top. Yeah. Unless, of course, a semi plows into you at night somehow. So, yeah, we'll be... Um, Looking into that in the future? The future looks pretty awesome. <laughs> the yeah, future looks awesome. <laughs> so let's go back to our listener photog adventure since this has made us just <laughs> dream about awesome things We're because dreaming of now. it. Yeah. I, I just want to go there. I mean, the picture, you can't help but dream of your own adventure when you're out here in a picture like this. So he goes and says he got the D3300, and in January this year, staying in a mountain bothy on a perfect, crisp, clear night, he decided to try and capture the stars in a picture. He says... It's safe to say a brand new love was opened up almost instantly the very first time a night sky shot showed up on my LCD screen. You know, and I can attest to that. I had a very similar experience when you and I first went out the first, the very first night I'd ever captured the Milky Way. Love at first sight. Yeah, and it was like, it was literally 10 degrees at night and my toes were freezing and my whole body was freezing and I was like, had all my snow gear on and I was freezing <laughs> and yet I couldn't stop taking pictures. And we were out there for hours in the freezing snow yeah. just because it was so awesome and so crisp and so great. So You forget everything else that's going on because, man, what's showing up on your LCD screen is astonishing. Yeah, yeah. So, Ross, we can't wait to see your crisp night sky images, but we also can't wait to see this same image again at a different time of the year because, I mean, what mm-hmm. beauty could come from this scene? This is a great shot. If anything, go to one of those other mountain peaks that shows the lock more. I don't know. It is beautiful area. I hope that we mm-hmm. someday get a chance to go out and have a hike with Ross Campbell, have him guide us through here. This would be a dream come true. That would be really true. fun. Oh, yeah. yeah. So once again, guys, if you want to share with us your listener photog adventures, please go to Photog Adventures Facebook page and on there, 
post a message and put in there somewhere, anywhere in the message, hashtag listener photog adventure. That helps me find it as well as make sure you include your information on the image that you've taken, the settings, anything, any cool story that attaches to the scene, mm -hmm. the moment, the adventure. Please give me that and then I'll share it on the podcast. Yeah. So let's go ahead and take our first break of the podcast and we'll come back and talk about the stories of the Grand Teton and talk about what went well and what didn't go well in our photography. Hey guys, welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast. We like to start off the second section of the podcast with kind of a funny stories and you know, you know, you know what we're talking about. So, you know, we had an interesting time with Daniel. Um, we didn't really spend that much time with Daniel himself. It stunk. We didn't get a chance it, it to hang like, out with like him. It felt like maybe a total of like an hour. Yeah, um, honestly. They had planned on staying longer that weekend, but then plans had changed with their family back home. And Easter so they, weekend, unfortunately. It was Easter weekend. So, you know, they wanted to go. The grandparents had to be back to be with the grandkids and stuff like that. So that was fine. We got to stay a little bit longer in, in the Signal Lodge, which is awesome. So, But in the meantime... We did get to hang out with his family a little bit. That was we cool. We met his dad. We, we met, met his, his dad's mom, mom, his child, or two-year-old, three-year-old daughter. His two-year-old daughter, I think, or maybe eighteen maybe months. Maybe three. Maybe between. I'm going to say between eighteen months and three. I'm not sure. Maybe close to two. A tiny little child. She was a cool kid, though. So. Luckily, cool, I had cool Moana kid. on my iPad, and I became close friends with her right away and said, here's an iPad, a giant screen showing Moana. And she's like, okay. <laughs> and so that was cool to hang out. I mean, I felt like they'd known them for years. They're really cool oh, people. It was so cool. It was really like we comfortable. had come to their home, you know, because right. she, his mother had lasagna she had oh made. Gosh, yeah. here's a Here's a portion of lasagna, guys. Here's some salad. Oh, here's some drinks. Fantastic. And then afterwards, a little hot chocolate. Oh, it was and awesome. And I was like, wow, this is not a regular photog adventure. <laughs> no, <laughs> not the standard crap that we're we eat. normally eating a protein bar right about now <laughs> and looking for the last powerade <laughs> exactly and here we are here we are having lasagna hot lasagna warm lasagna on plates with forks eating a like nice civilized, civilized salad and you know <laughs> wow it was awesome and then they showed us the upstairs area that we can kick back and not interrupt anyone or not be interrupted by anyone set up our cameras yeah. for will we do some nighttime photography time lapses that mm -hmm. eh, kind of worked out okay yeah Mine didn't. Yours turned out okay. Uh, yeah, I think it turned out okay. I did use the um, the genie for that, and so the syrup genie worked out pretty well. I just wish that I had aimed. I wish I just would have done a little bit more prep. The time lapse ended up scanning the stars and then getting just the very tips of the mountains. And yeah, I like wish, an inch down. Of and I wish I would have gotten more of the mountains. In that. So it was fun. They gave us a spot upstairs, and then we had that to ourselves to sit there, talk about Photog Adventure stuff, and run our cameras. So it was like the most comfortable, most yeah, awesome. Yeah, we had like a lounge, we had the we lounge had. upstairs and sleeping arrangements downstairs. And we, it was, it was we did awesome. get to share a tight bed together. That was fun, huh? It was a, it was a pullout. Right, it was yeah, like a pull-out couch, typical bed. It was like a double size or something like that. Pretty, just under, pretty just decently under, sized. Yeah, not not a queen, but it was a bit smaller. I didn't have to wake up to you wearing gray tights in my face, so that was nice. Yeah, yeah. And I brought both my foam pads, and that made a big difference. We I didn't think this was going to well. be a good idea. Brendan has his foam pads that he sleeps on whenever you he goes somewhere. You know those giant orange foam pads that, are, that your grandpa he, or If you see our Bryce Canyon video, you. he's actually carrying one with him. To go down and hike. Yeah. So you can see it in there. And I'm old school. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to put it under the mattress. I'm like, why? We already have a mattress. Okay. It was a brilliant idea. And I'm like, just, let's just try it. <laughs> <laughs> we get in there like, 
halfway through the night, I'm laying there going, man, this is a whole lot more comfortable than most couch beds are. <laughs> yeah. Typically, they're a mattress, but a hard mattress that has tons of creases and folds and weirdness on the or springs. Or the bars. The bars Where the in bars my back. are. Oh, yeah. See, that's what I didn't want. I didn't want the bar in my back. And I haven't had that feeling since a sleepover in the 90s with buddies oh, of mine. Oh, my gosh, yes. So it's like, I forgot that those bars would be in your back somewhere. Or in your ribs. It's like the worst. <laughs> yeah. So that's Every a time I stayed at my friend's plan. house, I hated that because <laughs> I'd get the pull-out bed and the bar in the back. So we had a sleepover yeah. with our buddy, Daniel, and his parents let us have breakfast with him. <laughs> I know. It was amazing. <laughs> it was a sleepover. And we only had a chance to have a sunset with Daniel, and that night was not much color, and the clouds were blocking the Grand Teton. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't all see anything. Yeah. It really was all day long. These clouds were obnoxious. We come in mm. to the Grand Teton National Park. We got this beautiful sight of skies of blue on the right, but then heavy clouds on the left. We even got snow happening with blue skies. As we can see, blue skies yeah, in the distance. Was, yeah. And we get snowed on a little bit because these clouds were big and dynamic and full of weather. And moving fast, too. Oh, like this giant so gray fast. wall was just moving across the valley. Yeah. It was so cool it was racing us yeah so you point up at the grand teton and say look at that and i kind of bend down to see out his window and i see the clouds have just kind of opened up around the grand teton peak and we've got this beautiful light shining on the peak the rock face dynamics and the clouds just like billowy clouds all around it and we thought this is okay we gotta stop asap get our cameras out and we kind of didn't i wish we would have stopped like immediately we went to the next turnaround and then at that turnaround we decide slowly we should go back to this other location and then the clouds are moving so fast that that amazing shot had changed and it was no longer there <sighs> so we thought at the time okay we could take a nice telephoto shot of this because i rented a one to 400 mm-hmm. we could take that one shot and go zoomed in but it's not a great landscape shot all the time. I wanted to have more of a scene. Well, what could mm-hmm. be in our scene? Brendan's looking down at the train saying, we can hike down there and maybe go into some of the trees there. But I said, hey, there's Jenny Lake right over there. And he goes, oh, Jenny Lake, say no more. I yeah. love that place. He's been to Jenny Lake before. Once before, yes. And then we'd make the mistake of driving to it while the light's so great because by the time we made it to what was actually the closed road leading to Jenny Lake, mm-hmm. we couldn't see anything in the clouds. Yeah, all we got to was a parking lot with a couple of restrooms. Yeah. And then it was all snow-packed. You could hike around there or yep. snowshoe, but that was uh, pretty much it. <laughs> that was it. So we tried hiking a little bit, and the sidewalk is covered with snow, and we're sinking in 12 inches of snow. So we get through that section and get around to where we can take the picture, but the clouds never really revealed the peak again like it did that one no, time. it was really sad. What was happening is the sun was still kind of above the mountains and shining on the front face, mm-hmm. but because the Teton, the Grand Teton, on mountains face directly east once the sun has passed over it and it's shining light on the back side of the grand teton we can't see it from the grand teton national park side the light is lighting the back Mm -hmm. and so the clouds get some light but the face the really interesting rock face has no light on it no dynamic contrast it was all flat lighting shadow yeah i mean you get you do get a little bit of the bounce back from the clouds being so close to the peaks that it would shine a little bit of light back on it but it's but it but it still was pretty flat light though. So, I mean, there was some cool times to where, I mean, when we when we walked over to that one spot by Jenny Lake um, entrance and actually took some shots, I thought I was getting some pretty epic shots. And when we went, we yeah. went back home to look at them, I'm just like, oh, these are gross. Like, they were I don't like any of these. Like, what? <laughs> 
Because being there in person was way better than some of the shots we took. And it was just like, ah, it was so depressing. Even in the video, when you take it in with your camera, we had your iPhone 7 recording scenes that were driving. Those were more interesting dynamic shots of the mountains than any of the pictures I captured. So we had had a, a moment we learned right away that the Grand Teton has a timeline that you need to be, if you want to have light facing on the face of this mountain range, you got to make sure you're there earlier in the day and set up and you found a good location. Because if you're at that point at 5 p.m. that it's just about to turn, mm-hmm. you just can't take any time. And everything was closed, everything in the main roads and pass. It was nuts. So we spent the entire weekend trying to find something with closed roads everywhere. Main roads and pass blocked, couldn't hike up anything, so we had to deal with what we could. And so when we finally got our sunset shot in the John Moulton Barn, we drove out of there in the dark for the last time, and we were heading home. But the Moulton Barn was cool that we had, A, found it, because we had been wondering for probably a good six months as to where this barn actually was. Yeah, ever since we've been seeing the shots in David King mm-hmm. and Royce Bear's book and other people's images, mm-hmm. the Moulton Barn, we were so excited. Yeah, and we get up there, it was like, oh... Oh, there it is. Okay. Um, <laughs> cool. Let's get some pictures now. You know, it just seemed like, uh, uh, yeah, it was just, it wasn't as secluded as we thought it was. It did and seem it was like it was very easy own. to get to. Drive right up. And uh, so that was nice. In fact, we actually went to the correct Molten Barn the first night, not I got realizing pictures it. Of. Yeah. Because it was so easy to get there. Yeah. And then we thought, oh, we'll find the one we want. And it wasn't until the next day we realized, oh, that we were there already there. That was actually it. Yeah. I think it's because we pictured it so by itself that we didn't realize all those other buildings next to it. It wasn't just that this barn looked like it. It was the barn. And we only looked at it from that one side. And Google Maps said TA Molten Barn over this way. So we went over that side and found the TA Molten Barn. And it's a different shape. Yeah, so we're looking at the sheep. We're like, that's not the same barn. Not the one that we but kept Google seeing. But Google didn't have the John Moulton barn actually labeled, which was interesting. Yeah. But the plaque in front of the barn clearly says, this is John Moulton barn. So we're like, okay, this is the actual barn. It is a very cool place. It is very easy to get to. And I guess I kind of took the, um, I don't know. Did it feel less romantic it, of a it location? Did. It did. Because it wasn't like this hard thing to get to. And it wasn't like this exclusive thing. It was like anybody can come here and get a picture of this barn. Oh, which man. Is why there's some, which is probably why there's so many pictures of it. True um, that. <laughs> it's a very famous you know, barn. And there's lots and lots of photographers and lots and lots of photographs of that barn and of that area. But a lot of photographers do a pretty good job of isolating it and making it seem like it's out in the middle of nowhere in a wilderness, you know, long forgotten kind of thing. Yeah, you know? and there are so there is areas certain, empty behind it, yeah. between it and the Tetons. Yeah. Oh, so there is a certain romantic feel that photographers can give to that area. But when you drive there with a person, you're just like, oh, well, okay. Kind um, of a cluttered section of houses, old yeah. barns all right on top of each other. Yeah, yeah. So it's very interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. The place isn't beautiful in itself, but in in the way it can get composed in front of the Grand Teton Mountains, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. It's exactly. amazing. Exactly. And I've seen pictures where people wait for bison to come through and they walk right past it, and that makes it amazing. Yeah. And the other TA Molten Barn with some grasses growing and greenery, and then the mountains in the background, oh, that's beautiful. It looks amazing. Exactly. Yeah. We just happened to be there at the time of year where everything was still dead and it's not very green. Too early and of a time of year to go. Yeah. Prairie dogs were happy. You know, they yeah, were jumping they were. around doing their thing. <laughs> but uh, all the other wildlife, man, they were still very scarce. We saw 
I mean, we had, we, you rented that lens specifically for wildlife. Right. So unfortunately, a quick story is that, uh, you know, Aaron rented this 100 to 400. Yep, 100 to 400 Canon lens. We were hoping to see like some bears and maybe some wolves. And, you know, we did see like one or two bison. Didn't get any pictures of them. They were way up on the hill. And we up saw there. like maybe two packs of elk, and that was it. That were close. That were just you know kind of near the road. We were driving past them. And we were looking for bear. We're thinking, okay, let's just keep going. Let's find the bear. Yeah. We didn't realize that our one chance of capturing anything was right there at yeah. that elk. So you know, it was uh, it wasn't a very good wildlifey period either. It was nah. Just, yeah. It was location scouting. Basically, it all yeah. really ended up being, and we yeah. fell in love with the location. That's for sure. So yes. many awesome plans of hiking right into the Teton, driving up to the other side from Driggs, Idaho, also mm-hmm. going up through all the lakes. I mean, there's a lot of We beautiful... want to go back to Schwabacher's Landing. We want mm-hmm. to go to Hidden Falls. We want to go to Jenny Lake. We want to go to all these places that were totally cut off to us this trip. So yeah. we have some big, awesome plans to go back and do some a better video, um, a lot better pictures. And it's just really, I'm excited to go back. And, you know, it's not a very long trip to get to, so it's pretty no, cool. it was really easy. When we were getting in the car to drive back home from the Molten Barn and taking off, I felt like we had a successful, wonderful weekend. I was mm-hmm. stoked. And I just thought, I can't wait to drive back here. Mm-hmm. So driving back, we were just carefree and not thinking about much about just enjoying the ride. Yeah. Until, of course... The flashing lights. Yeah, so here's the thing is the speed limit changes at night. It actually changes at night. And once it gets dark, they tell you a different speed limit. And I saw the signs all day long. I saw the signs saying that it changed from like 55 to 45. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. Normally in a 55, I feel pretty comfortable in general going about five over, you know. I don't really think, most cops don't bother you going four or five over. But when you're going four and five over, the old speed limit and the new speed limit is 45 <laughs> and you're going 60. Yeah. They're going to have a problem with that. Noticeably speeding. And I noticed a guy coming towards me. And I noticed when he put his brakes on real fast and turned around. You really a saw couple, the A couple chair? blocks behind us. And I'm just like, oh, I hope that's not what I think it is. And then they came riding right on my tail <laughs> for about five minutes like, following us. And, I was, and at that point, us. I had slowed down because Aaron had just pointed out, you know the speed limit changes? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. So I actually slowed down when he was turning around. I'd actually slowed down to the appropriate Unfortunately, speed Unfortunately, we hadn't slowed down yet. But he, I think it still clocked us going the opposite direction. He rode our tail, and I'm just like, what's this guy's deal? And I'm like, oh, it's probably a cop. And then there goes the lights. As soon as you said that. And I was like, ah, okay. <laughs> so he pulls us over. Crazy enough, of all the driving we have done through California, Arizona, Nevada, this is the first time we've been pulled over. That's true. I mean, we're definitely not speeders that are reckless or anything. We go a little like oh, like five over. Yeah. But we haven't had an encounter with a cop or anything. No. But this time we were definitely going more than five over. <laughs> yeah, 15. Officially because the t- because after sunset that does change. And I think it's because of the wildlife. That's if, why. Yeah. Because if you're going 60 miles an hour, you're going to hit a deer. You're going to kill yourself. Elk, moose. You know, but if you're going 45, you, can have a, you probably have enough time to break and maybe do some damage but not kill yourself and some other thing you know so and a I think fighting that's why the, yeah i think that's why the speed change is there so he came over and he was he was a cool guy he informed us that indeed you know the speed limit was and, and we explained you know he had aaron had just told me that <laughs> you just realized I that just we were realized going that fast. and i slowed down and then that's when you you know you got us just before <laughs> that and he was totally cool with it and so we're sitting there he pulls us over and we're trying to make it sound like you know we're cool we're about this we understand what's going on we're not trying to get away with anything. We just realized we were going too fast. We're slowing down. He sounds like he's okay with it, but he needs to see his license and registration. So he has Brendan for the license and registration anyway, and he starts handing the stuff over. And Brendan gives him his license, his registration, his insurance card, and 
a Photog Adventures business card. He puts it at the top of everything like, this is going to be important. You should take this while you also are or taking you, my license. Yeah, well, I told him what we were doing. I was saying, hey, this may explain more to what we're, you know, what we're, what, this is who we are. And if and you have so, any friends, tell them, listen up. Yeah, so you, you never know where you're going to find your audience, okay? Oh, my gosh. So we do want to give a shout out to <laughs> Officer Merritt. Yes. Thank you for pulling us over for speeding. Um, thank you for giving us just a warning. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. One, you stopped us from possibly hurting ourselves from driving into some moose in the middle of the dark. But also, even better, we didn't have to pay the crazy price that we should have paid for 15 miles per hour over the speed limit. Yeah. So thank you, Officer Commander. Did he say Commander Merritt? Merritt? He said Commander or Captain? I think it was just Officer. <sighs> yeah, and the ticket there says Officer, but I know he said Commander or Captain. So, yeah, there you have it. <laughs> if you get pulled over in Grand Teton National Park, give them your business card because it softens their heart. <laughs> <laughs> so, fun trip. Had a great time. Really look forward to doing more and getting out more and doing more of the things that we can actually do up there and going to Yellowstone when we're up there. So we got an awesome trip coming up to that place. Let's go ahead and take our last break of the podcast. We'll come back and talk about what went well, what didn't go well, and do gear time and tip of the week. All right. Welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast. So what went well? Let me start off with me because I'm going to be very quick. Once again, nothing really of note to mention. It's not that I'm doing terrible in my photography, but I keep having these situations where I know that I can get something better for the YouTube video if I do time lapse instead of trying to squeeze something out of nothing mm. when the light's mm. skunking us or we're too late or we have a situation where we just don't have a composition that's all that fantastic. Like when I was next to the barn and I had the little reeds here and a kind of a little irrigation ditch that was going out, mm -hmm. and then there's the Grand Tetons. It wasn't a terrible image, but it wouldn't have been a portfolio image, and so I prioritized a time lapse right there, mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. video is all the better for it. I love doing yeah. video. Part of my portfolio is video and photography, so it's okay that I don't have just still images, but in the end, the entire weekend there, all I really got were time lapses. Nothing really great. Yeah, and, you know, because the clouds move so fast, it does make really cool, interesting time lapses, though. That's true. And so they did turn out pretty well, especially when you're zoomed right into the very, very peak I of the Teton. I The peak it. was just amazing. So cool to be up there and experience what it was like. It was just crazy how the clouds were coming off, draping around it and coming off of the peak like a chimney stack oh, yeah. smoke. Oh, yeah. oh it, was it was awesome. Awesome. Um, one of the things that went well for me was uh, we stopped over at the Jackson Lake Dam, and uh, there's a tiny little pullout before the fence, which is probably like a utility road. Oh my gosh, you scared me so bad when you went up into that. I pulled off and got a little, and I was going to do like a little three-point turn Just a little ambitious thinking. I and I got a little crazy in the, in, in the snow thinking, eh, it's four-wheel drive, right? <laughs> we got three tires into it. And it was not going to go anywhere No else. grip, nothing. We were it was in just like mud. A, two feet of snow and two mud. Two feet of snow and mud. And so I was like, that's a really bad mix. And so Aaron's like, oh crap, are we stuck? And the thing <laughs> is, is, I had just said something kind of judgmental to you about where you were driving. I think it's because I wanted you to pull over, but then you didn't pull over until like the last second. And I was like, why do you do that so crazy? 
And then it was like, crazy, huh? I'll show you crazy. And you went into that ditch. And that's what I thought you were doing at first. I'm like, dude, 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 sorry. <laughs> I'm not like crazy redhead right now. Um, <laughs> I'm going to show you. I'll show you. We're going to die um. together out here. <laughs> Luckily, Brendan is not that mad at me or... Even no, though I might and deserve it. Wasn't it wasn't really that. It wasn't, it. it wasn't like that, in that attitude at all. It was just <laughs> that um, I thought I had enough room and I thought the car could easily handle it. And then it almost didn't. Oh, so, luckily, so we, had the one, the we had one tire out on the road still. So and that was just enough glad. to wiggle us out and to, <laughs> and to free us. So, until of course I was we got really, blocked in. At that very second, I was really hoping and wishing that I had those utility things that we just talked about in the last Yeah, um, we actually podcast. have talked about it, and you didn't go and buy one yet, huh? No, I'm going to buy one this week, actually. Oh, we need it for Photog Adventures, man. Yes, so I will have those in the back at all times. I don't want to be like Steve and Magner, who was stuck in a little pullout just because that pullout was crazy right. saturated. And these things only cost like $20, okay? Yeah. So guys, in the notes, there's a link to Amazon um, where you can get a couple of these items. They're only between $20 and $40 for you know, some nicer ones. But the cheapest one's really like 20 bucks. Get them and put them in the back because holy cow, getting stuck in sand or mud or snow is the worst. And if you don't have oh, any yeah. way of digging yourself out, it's it's literally impossible. And these things, you just stick them on your tire. Great traction. I'm going to pick some up this week. And so glad I didn't have to resort to something um, along that. But anyways, so while we stopped, while we got out of that predicament and we actually stopped and was safe, and yeah, we got out, got out onto the dam and actually could see the entire Jackson Lake and the Tetons behind it. It was a pretty epic view. It was about midday almost. It was about, what, 3, 3 p.m.? Oh, yeah. It something was, like that? It was either 1 or 3 p.m., very yeah, was, midday. Yeah, it was very midday. And uh, so not a whole lot of, like, the the drama in the sky was pretty big, though. I mean, there was some big, puffy clouds. Cool, interesting um, clouds, but yeah. blue sky. The light was yeah. high in the yeah. sky. So what I decided to do was, okay, I'm going to do my five bracketed HDR shots that I normally do. And I did mine in uh, portrait orientation. And I did like, I want to say I did like 10. It's always so nuts that you do a s- HDR panorama. I do an HDR panorama. So I did five shots for each section and I did 10 sections. So it ended up being 50 pictures total. <laughs> so the way that I do this is in, in Lightroom, what I do is I first... I do my HDRs. So I take each section, I take the five photos, merge them in HDR, and then I go to the next five, merge them in HDR. Using Lightroom's merge? Using Lightroom's merge, yeah. Okay. And then I don't do any processing yet. I just merge them and go to the next set. Merge, merge, merge. So I did that that 10 times. And then with those 10 pictures, it usually sticks at the end of my timeline. Which I'm not sure why it does that, but it usually does. So I just stick them all there. If they don't, if they don't go there, I just stick them all there, so it's easier, easier to find. You group them up in the timeline. I take those ten, I select all those ten, and then I merge them as a panorama. Because you didn't do any of the processing yet, is that why they merge together? Okay, instead of having a weird, you know, an edge difference between each panorama. Because when you have a raw image, raw image, raw image panorama, yes. they all so, look alike. Yeah, but so if you do any work to them, like right, the HDR you merge. could do something, something could be weird. Yeah. So because they're all taken within like a two minute period, there's no weird um, banding or anything like that. Oh. So you, so this is this, and I, maybe this is my, 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 why my workflow works the way it does is because when Lightroom stacks an HDR, it saves it as a digital negative. So you still have all of that raw data to work with. Nice. It still treats it like a raw file. 
And so when you merge all of those HDRs, those 10 HDRs into a panoramic, it now, it now treats that panoramic shot as one giant 97 megapixel <laughs> raw file. So you're saying you can print it. So if I printed this thing on <laughs> canvas, I could probably print it, I would say probably a four foot by 10 or maybe even 11 foot wide. Wallpaper a house Wall, with it. Wall, like conference room print, you know, mural. like huge. Yeah, basically a mural. Which would be a really cool mural because those mountains are pretty. Yeah. So what I do with that, at that point, at that point, I actually start developing and processing the panoramic. Okay. Bringing your contrast yeah. and everything there. Yeah. If you do not have a six core three gigahertz processor or 32 megs of ram or less <laughs> and a higher end graphics card and ssd drives i would not attempt this <laughs> at home <laughs> so i basically have a mac pro that i've built into a pretty big beast okay and i do my processing with that and even with that being said it's still lightroom takes Almost a solid 20 to 30 seconds to like de-res, to show me the full 100%. You get that blurry image, and then it comes the into blurry, a nice sharp image. It first starts out pixelated, then blurry, and then sharp. Okay, <laughs> it actually goes through three stages. Right. And especially with this huge image, it takes nearly 20 seconds to show up full res, okay, like full clarity. But then once that's done, I can, you know, pan around and stuff like that. But it was crazy. So, um, <laughs> but it actually turned out pretty well. So I was, I was pretty happy with that as a, as a photo. Um, in general, and it was a good test, you know, um, to try out the processing, try the processing out that particular way again, and it had the same results. So I'm, it's safe to say that that's a good workflow. If you guys are interested in doing um, HDR panoramics, that's a pretty good way to approach it. And it's interesting because the panoramic is already a lot of work, and then if you do an HDR, mm -hmm. you've given yourself a crazy amount of work. If you do it manually and pick and choose, or even do luminosity masks, you could make each one of those stacked HDRs look different just enough to have a hard time stitching as a panorama yeah. so but because i keep it all in lightroom and i do the workflow hdrs first then panoramic stitching after yeah. it works out i mean the results are beautiful i don't have a single issue and you know and the funny thing is as i will get spots from either my sensor being dirty or the lens or something like that but then i just scroll across the sky and i just eliminate spot eliminate you know maybe 10 or 12 little spots, water spots, and then it's perfect. Absolutely. It looked really good. Yeah. So really, I have nothing else to add for what went well, and we didn't have as much things go well as we did have things that we learned from the trip. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I learned right away goes right back to the speedy clouds, the fleeting clouds that oh, are happening. Man, and they are so fast. It's an interesting little weather system that happens right above the Grand Teton mm -hmm. mountain range. And so we've got all these fast moving clouds that are making dynamic shapes and going up and down. And so I'm doing time lapses and I started a couple time lapses with just three second timers. I thought, you know, I'm not going to be here very long. So I'm just going to do just enough time for the camera to take the shot right to card and take the next shot. And so it's constantly going almost about every two seconds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so my camera was set with magic lantern at times for two seconds. And then the next day I thought, oh, I have time. I'll be here for a while. I'll do a five second in the between. And it seemed nuts. I started it and I was waiting and the clouds were moving way too much in between those. And so when you have really dynamic clouds, what I'm learning is 
don't do a long interval between time lapse. Just get more just images. Just one or two seconds the most. Yeah, yeah, it is so much neater when you can see all of those really grow and form than it is to have a very fast animation of clouds going over. If you're doing a full yeah. day animation, I get the five seconds or even longer. But in this case, with how fast these clouds are moving, my time lapses were a million times better when I did them one to two seconds. It's so it right after another. Like, yeah, and so when I think about it, it seems like the one second time lapse, you really capture the detail it seems like and the, and the more and the more detailed movement than if you did a five or ten seconds you've got things moving so fast that you really don't have time to really enjoy the detail i guess yeah it's yeah. true uh, and before i was in the game industry i was 3d animation studying 3d animation and i did 3d animation with my groups in the game industry so i've been involved in 3d animation and other animation on my mm -hmm. life and in animation frames you have the keyframes and you have the tweens the tweens right. the in-between frames and these tween frames help give something a lot more rich animation than it does if it's kind of a stepped motion. While your eyes will blend those stepped motions together and the old Mickey Mouses look fantastic, mm -hmm. when you see some of these 3D animations now that have a lot more frames in between, it's much more cinematic look, it's a much it, it has the detail, like you said, of the action instead of just the implied motion, the implied action. Right. And so when I get a five-second panorama, a five-second intervalometer going, I'm only capturing kind of key frames of the clouds' movement, and it still looks like the clouds. But when I captured the one to two seconds and captured constant in-between frames, these tween frames, man, it was a rich animation of the clouds, and it was just so much more fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For me, I learned a little bit more about the Genie. Um, I did do more of my review of the Genie. The Genie was kind of like a three-step review, so I really wanted to give it a fair amount of time to really get used to it. So I did the first part in Grand Canyon, Yeah. second part of the Tetons, and we just wrapped it up tonight. Um and one of the things that I realized is that the genie seems to wiggle if it's the track seemed very stable. But when I put it on a tripod and just had the genie rotate, it didn't seem as stable. Like it looked like there was quite a bit of wiggle room. And you would expect maybe a little bit less of that with a product that was as sturdy as it is. What I noticed is that it would it would turn, take a picture, and then and then and then wait its time. And I wish it was the other way around. I wish it would turn, wait, and then take the picture because then it would have less wobble. You and noticeably I, saw a wobble in between your frames? I was watching it as it was first as I first started doing the time lapse of the stars. Yeah. I was watching the genie move and it seemed like it would stop and wobble. And as I was wobbling a little bit, it would take the picture. And I was like, uh. I was like, it's wobbling. Oh my gosh, why? And so I was afraid that the frames were gonna be like all like jittery. Yeah. And it didn't really look too bad. It definitely was more jittery than Yosemite. Seem, it did seem a little jittery than, than if you just had your stationary time lapse on a very solid tripod just sitting there. You know, come to think of it in the Yosemite video, you pull up the slider, takes a picture, pull the slider, takes a picture. Did it also rotate at all with the genie? Because no. it wasn't going right or left and, nope. and doing just, a yaw. No. It was just coming up. And so yeah. that was smooth. Yeah. But in the situation where you had the syrup genie rotating right and left... Mm -hmm. You had jitter. Yeah, so the, the Serp Genie, the big one, comes with two different bases. There's a string base where I can pull up the string, and then there's the rotating base where it rotates um, mm. clockwise or counterclockwise. And so if you add a Genie puck, then you can start doing like string and rotate. Two pucks, you can do string, rotate, and tilt. I mean, it's, you can do some crazy yeah, cool exactly. combinations that way. But in the situation where you actually... But in a single Genie on a tripod, it's, it seemed to wobble... 
like a lot more than I would. It makes sense why your would. Yosemite image turned out okay with the nice smooth trend, uh, nice smooth mm-hmm. time lapse because you weren't moving left or right. You were just right. bringing it At up the on the track. track. Yeah, and the track was pretty stable. And the way it went was like how you described. It would move, yeah. wait, take a picture, move, wait, take a picture. Yeah. Ah. So I'm. So that's one thing that was a little discouraging. Um, I'm hoping that I can either find some answers through Genie or maybe there's a firmware update that can help me to, you know, maybe if I set the two-second timer on my camera, it actually honors that. Because it seems like the Genie um, interface uh, kind of took over, overrid anything on the camera. So um, so that was kind of something that I wish went a little bit better. I wish it had not jittered so much, but um, but that's not really my fault. That's the hardware. Yeah. <laughs> and another time-lapse situation and thing that I would expect the genie to do is ramping. I tried manually ramping on the sunset that last time, that last night of the Grand Teton trip. I tried to do a little bit of ramping and it is not easy at all. No, it's not. I mean, my other time-lapse, it went into a time that just was a little bit differently exposed and looked bad. And so I had to use only the good part of the time-lapse. And I didn't, I didn't want that to happen again in this sunset. I wanted to kind of transition into night from day to night and i figured i could practice it even though i wasn't capturing a milky way mm-hmm. that was rising right away it was a good time to practice it as i remember and i think i have it incorrectly i think i th- thought it was a full stop and you change so you'd watch the metering and you go full stop then you change it back up to neutral then they go down a full stop you go to neutral and kind of keep countering it there a full stop is way too much and it yeah. seemed like even when i was controlling it by shutter so i would have a situation with this aperture this ISO, we're shooting. And then as it would go to the next frame and start looking like the metering was showing it underexposed, I needed to bring it up a little bit. I would just do one single click with the shutter. It would just click and go in once. And it still had such a drastic change in exposure from the previous shot to that mm. shot that it was going to flicker. And so I thought, okay, not that. Let's try. I, mean, I need to try something else. Because when I looked at the video afterwards, the flicker is definitely apparent. It's definitely there. And bull ramping at every one meter is, at every moment it goes down a full stop on the meter is way too hard. It's not. It's probably way too much. I need to have it a little bit at a time. Yeah. But even that tiny shutter movement, it seemed like it was too extreme. So it's like I'm either going to be clicking that almost every other picture. Or there's something that Ian Norman did that I didn't realize, and maybe ISO was the more of the solution. He changed the ISO each time. I can't remember what he said, but I think what he said is he watched the meter, and I think, I think you were taking it to a full stop when he said it was like the first little tick, like the first tick underneath. It underneath wasn't a meter. full stop at all. It was like and maybe so a that, third. At that point, you just do one tick, and then you could let it, and then you could let it go for like ten or fifteen more frames before it would move back again one more tick, and then you'd move it again. And so I think he was controlling the shutter speed and letting more light in. It was, uh, I don't think it was necessarily ISO. It could be ISO, but I don't think it was. I think it was the shutter speed. I'm kind of starting to remember him also saying that he would go until he would get to that exposure that he wanted for the stars. So like the shutter stars was going to be a 15 second timer. He would change that shutter until he got to 15 seconds. And then I think he changed the ISO at that point. Oh, maybe. And then from ISO until he had it, on the ISO he wanted for the exposure of the stars. And that would make sense, but for some reason when I'm doing it in this situation, it when was just way light too dramatic. When you have sunsetting, you don't really want to change your ISO necessarily. You could just change the shutter speed because your shutter speed is going to be higher anyways. Right? And then eventually so. you want to change your ISO up so your shutter speed stays the same. Stays yeah. the same. yeah. 
So doing it manually, there is definitely some skill to it. I mean, you need to learn and practice and really get good at that. Or we can just learn Magic Lantern a little bit better and just have it do it automatically. See how it does it. <laughs> yeah, honestly. I know that Neil did it. Neil had it work out for him. And so I just got to keep trying. It's yeah. probably just, yeah. it's probably just uh, sooner. I need to change it sooner. Yeah. So I don't really have anything else to add, I mean, to the trip. I mean, some of my pictures from the Molten Barn I thought were okay, but not that great. But other than that, you know, there's that's pretty much it. Yeah, I think so, too. I think I learned more about time lapses and long lens photos, but I didn't really do anything else. Yeah. So let's move on to gear time. Awesome. Today on gear time, guys, I want to talk about external battery packs that have the USB ports. So we can use them to either charge our phones, charge our laptops. We use a small one for charging or for running LED yeah. lights. Runs the LED light that I use to shine in our eyes it's basically this Aaron has one basically the size of a lipstick case i mean it's just yeah you know, it's a um, cylinder a little, a little bit taller cylinder. than a lipstick case i've got one that's actually called the jackery um the giant plus it's about four times bigger than that thing and weighs at least three times as much oh yeah much more or more and maybe five times as much <laughs> and right? uh, the cool thing i like about the jackery is that uh, you push the button and you get your three bars to tell you how much power is left in it and if you double tap it you get a little two little led lights flashlight which is pretty cool because you're usually gonna be using these things when you're out and about usually at night yeah um it's not hard to, to figure out that if you're gonna be camping and you want to charge your phone overnight you just plug it into this guy, little guy. I actually bought a little, I mean, what is this? Three inches? Four inches? No, no, that's six, seven. This is six inches, maybe, mm-hmm. from port to port. Um, a little USB port on one side and a little lightning port for my for the iPhone 5 and up. It's really small, and it's great for these little devices because you can just plug it in. You don't have a super long cable yeah, to deal with. You just part. plug it right in. It's six inches long. You just set it next to it, boop. And it starts charging. It's awesome. So I was down in the Mule Canyon this last weekend, and I go up to the ruin, and I have my phone, and I pull it out, and it's still chilly. And so as soon as I pull it out at 57%, the stupid iPhone 5, 5S, mm. I get it out. I turn on photo pills and go to augmented reality app to see, okay, can we get the Milky Way in here? Black. Black screen. Dies on you. Dies immediately. And I can't do anything to get it back other than to charge it. And I thought, oh. I have this in the car. The power bank is set for the LEDs for running the lights when I do the nighttime photography for myself. Right? I had a cable. All I had to do was bring the dang plug in for that to plug into my iPhone. So had only I had this power bank on me. Actually, I think I did have the power bank on me. I just didn't have the cord. Oh. So the cord was in the car. Right. If I had had the cable to plug in my phone, I could have turned my phone back on and used it in on location. Mm-hmm. And so this power bank is going to be something I make sure I never leave behind. So you need a little six-inch dongle like this. Yeah. I think you can buy these in like a three-pack or something like now, that. Now, honestly, I think I would have a longer dongle because if I plug in my regular cord in this, I can put it in my pocket and still hold my phone oh, up true, and true, use it. True. And so if I wanted to keep checking that situation of augmented reality and my stupid, you know, poor battery inside this old 5S, it would have actually lasted longer as long as this power bank would have lasted. So you want like a three-foot cable for that. Yeah, in that right? situation, I do. Put in your pocket, hold your phone. You want a six-inch cable... For when you're like, you know, you're going to lay down next to your sleeping bag and sleep and you just want to charge it overnight. Yeah, you don't need A six-inch cable is perfect. Oh, yeah, for sure. So there's different cables for different uses. I really like this. I think I got three of these when I bought them, like a three-pack of these six-foot cables, and they've really come in handy. Even though they're really short, they're they're really useful sometimes. Back to the battery bank itself, man, they're great because uh, this, this Jackery Giant 
will charge my phone. I've got an iPhone 7 Plus. It'll charge the phone three whole times mm. before it drains. Now, that one, the Jackery Giant, you said has 12,000 milliamp hours. And yeah. the power bank that I have was only 3350. Mm -hmm. So this would probably only charge it once. Maybe even, maybe whole, even maybe less than less once. Than whole charge, yeah. The cool thing is it's got a little mini USB input to charge the Jackery. So you plug that into like uh, your cigarette lighter or or your your you know your car goal USB zero. or goal zero or it's your wall jack, and you can charge this guy overnight and then it's ready to go. I think this will charge an iPad, the older iPad, like one and a half times. Nice. And maybe an iPad Pro like yours, like one full charge. Yeah, it's pretty hefty. Yeah, something like this is great. You just throw this in your. I just throw this in my gearbox where I'm ready to go, and as so I've always got something that I've got easy access to with the rest of my gear. It, and it weighs a fair amount, but I'm not backpacking with it normally. I'm just going to have this as a kind of as a extra, you know, emergency type thing. Yeah, that's awesome gear time because I think I need to buy the Jackery. This one was only about $22. Yeah, they're really It's very heavy. It's not the one that I would hike with, but it's the one I would keep in the car for the mm -hmm. tent, for the sleeping situation. This would be awesome. Exactly. The very light, very convenient, very easy to fit in any bag situation. The Anker PowerCore Mini, that's the mm -hmm. 3350. This will give me my emergency situation, yep. and it's actually just 7 or $8 cheaper than yours. It's right. about 14 bucks right so i guess it's nine dollars cheaper eight dollars nine dollars cheaper to buy this guy barely cheaper for something that is one third the power or as you would say to but it's way more portable so there's value in having the portability and the lightweight so yeah absolutely love it that's it for gear time is um we'll, we'll put a link on the description and you guys can check out the jackery i got the orange one i like the color my friend brian is a shout out to brian titus there you go brian uh he's <laughs> one of his favorite colors is orange and so he would love this uh this jackery it's a nice oh yeah bright orange. poland yeah and so tip of the week i want to talk about having a long lens on your tripod mm. i have a tripod that's very sturdy it's a faisal it's not the most sturdy i mean if you wanted to spend a thousand dollars and get a really right stuff tripod that's really thick beefy mm. oh man rusty had an awesome one drew has an awesome one these are really sturdy tripods. The Faisal is still up there in sturdiness, not as sturdy as everything, but it can hold a lot of weight. It can do very well. Yeah. In this situation, I had a pretty heavy 100 to 400 tri uh, telephoto lens on the end of my Canon 6D. And it has a tripod collar that you put on the lens so that the weight is you know nice and balanced. Instead mm -hmm. of coming off of my camera body and having that all that weight and torque coming off the end of the lens and breaking off the mounted part of my Canon 6D, it sits on the tripod collar. So you'd think it'd be settled, ready to go. My time lapses in Yosemite were awesome. Crystal, perfect, balance, wonderful. That 100 mm -hmm. to 300's much lighter, much yeah. shorter. It worked perfectly on there. My 100 to 400, man, that was just too long and too it's heavy. It's a tank, right? Yep, and as you're using a telephoto lens and you're totally zoomed in on a subject, any slight movement is going to look great. It's going to look like it moved way too much. And so my time lapses ended up being really, really jittery, really jumpy. It was kind of moving all over the place the whole time. I had to pull all of my time lapse images, 648 time lapse images, I had to pull into Photoshop as a stack. So I pulled them all in as a stack, and it asks you right there, do you want to auto align? It's like, yes, mm. auto align. So as it's importing to the stack, it's auto aligning for me. I let it run the whole night, and I came back the next morning, and it was ready to go. 
and it kind of fixed the time lapse, even though it still wasn't perfect. And so what I'm thinking the tip of the week should be, and this is something that's unproven, it's a thing that I want to prove in the future, but I'm pretty sure it would be the answer, is in a situation like this where the wind or any slight movement is going to cause this camera to shift or wiggle a little bit with that long lens, putting a little bit of a counterweight on the back end of the camera, something that would anchor the movement and force more wind to really move it before it actually moved, you know? Mm. A little sturdier, a little stronger. So I was thinking about some sort of counterweight that I need to use in that situation to help it in a time-lapse situation. Well, what just came to my mind was, uh, was if you have the dual battery pack, that's going to add a lot more weight. So just making your body of the camera heavier. Right. Maybe if you actually had the extra battery grip with the two batteries in there. Like the weight of those? The weight of all that extra would probably be enough to counteract it without oh. being too crazy. Plus the bigger L-bracket that I would need. Mm -hmm. That would add a tiny bit of weight because L-bracket's pretty light. <laughs> yeah, mostly. But, but all that together it would probably add up to a pretty good counterweight. Yeah, that's maybe something to bring up because maybe that 100 to 400 would be countered just enough with that. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to worry about it. But if I ever go any bigger and I do a timeline, Laps, I'll have to do something even more heavy to counterweight. So since I already have that on my setup, I could do that as a test. I could rent the 100 to 400 next time. Yeah, please. And then we could try that out. See how the time lapse goes for you. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So that's the tip of the week. If you guys are going to do any telephoto fully zoomed in time lapses, think about the weight that your camera back body is compared to the front of the lens because the slightest of winds over at Grand Teton was removing my my and frames. you were zoomed in all the way to 400, right? Yep, so it was going to notice so the everything. the slightest movement you're going to see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So think about the counterweight. Think about what you've done. Think about what think you've about, done. Think about what you've done. Think, think about, about real good and hard. <laughs> <laughs> think about what you got on there. Think about what you're working with. And counterweight, I recommend for long lens. All right, awesome. So thanks again, guys, for joining us on the Photog Adventure podcast. We appreciate you joining us. We are adding some more content. We are just are behind on a few things. We're also going to add a few things. And so what Brendan and I have in mind is Photog Favorite, or Photog Adventure's Favorite of the Month. We're going to do a video, a live YouTube video once a month where just before we start, we give you guys a password to log into a Dropbox folder that we change every time where you can load a picture, one picture each to us to use for the critique. We really had a fun time with the judging of those images and yeah. talking about them. Yeah. And I think the people who had their images in there, those four guys, they benefited from that. Even if sure. they disagree with any of our points, it's something there and it's fun to hear and have someone go over your image. And so while we're sitting there live reacting, Acting to your images will go through all the images that we get up to 20 no more than 20 and so that we can get through them quickly in 30 minutes time and by the end of the 30 minutes we'll declare a favorite and the person who we declare as the photog favorite the photog adventures favorite of the month we're going to take your social media and your information and we'll share it with there right on share it with everyone right there on the video so hopefully you guys can gain a couple hundred extra followers from the video people seeing your work liking what you've done and want to follow you on instagram so kind of a reward for those who win the Photog Favorite. You'll get featured on our website, get featured on our Twitter and social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, and you'll also get a chance to hopefully have others who didn't know about your work see it and come follow you too. So we think that'll be a lot of fun. If you guys enjoy it and want to do it more than once a month, let us know. Just give us the feedback and say, hey, this is too fun. Keep doing this twice a month. That'd be awesome. But for now, we'll just do it once a month. So we'll let you know the next time we have that set up. It should be within this week or next week. So if you're listening to this, the very day it came out in the next five days we'll have it done we'll 
be doing a photog favor for the first time. So stay tuned for that. And that'll be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. Okay. So stay tuned for more content. Thanks, as always, for following us. And hope that you guys are planning right now your next photog adventure so you guys can get out there with your cameras. And we'll see you next week, guys. Have a good week. Bye.